1: Sexual health.
2: How can relationships evolve with people as they grow and change? Being human is dumb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> would not? It yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a whole episode on just how being
1: human is dumb. I, I'm mad. I just get furious anytime I like thirst or hunger or have to sleep. It feels like it is getting in the way. Having <laughs> to pee, eat I mean, stuff. She's oh my gosh. in the bathroom. Come on.
0: Welcome to the Curious Folks podcast. This podcast is for those who challenge the status quo in love, sex, and relationships. My name is Effie Bloom.
1: And I'm Jacqueline Misla. And today we're going to be talking to honestly Nay Adams about the three most important conversations that can be had in a relationship, vetting, checking in, and depending on how the relationship goes, splitting up. Shane is a therapist and educator and a sex-positive enthusiast on a mission to normalize conversations around sexuality, particularly in communities of color. Her passion revolves around liberation and embracing sexuality. She's known for her dynamic workshops, one of which she'll be hosting for us on September 16th in the Virtual Curiosity Salon, where she infuses her sex-positive mindset and eliminates the taboos surrounding sex and sexuality.
0: Hi, Shanae. Welcome well that's me i do things
1: <laughs> <laughs> isn't it interesting when you hear people like read your bio and they're like i did all those things
2: that's me yeah and it's also like i wrote that bio it comes out of someone else's mouth And it's like whoa
0: i do things <laughs> <Yes. That's me. laughs> yeah uh, well thank you very much among doing all these things thank you very much for making um time for us and coming on the show mm-hmm. I want to just start with checking in with you. How are you feeling during these times of global and national unrest?
2: What's really interesting is I was talking to my supervisor because I am a therapist, but I'm earning hours to get my license, which means I'm under Mm -hmm. a person who already has their license. And I was telling them, you know, we talk so much in grad school about how like you need to your personality and your authenticity need to show up in the counseling session. But like you're there to like hold space for other people and like help them process. But it's super weird because we're all in the pandemic. So we're all anxious. Mm -hmm. We're all depressed. We're all looking for some kind of some kind of grounding and some kind of like guarantee. So. Like when my clients are telling me, like, "Oh, my anxiety is stupid high." I'm like, "Girl, me too." <laughs> In <my head>. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. "I thought I had it managed, and now like leaving my house like spurs a little bit of an anxiety attack or a panic attack." Mm-hmm. So times are hard, and. I, I oftentimes think about the. I saw a meme where you know the Titanic was sinking and the orchestra's playing. So it's like mm. 2020 and the pandemic is the Titanic sinking, and therapists teaching mindfulness on Zoom is like the orchestra <laughs> playing. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's very much I how. It love I love that
0: for sure.
1: It's so true. Yeah. So my my background is in, I have a master's in social work and I do client work, but my focus is on coaching and it's the same. I think I have to really be mindful to not... When someone is like, man, I'm going through this, this, and this for me to be like, me too. i like, "Really, no, this is your space. We're going to create that space. But for all of us kind of in the healing professions, the therapeutic professions, the coaching professions, ensuring that we have space to feel fed mm-hmm. and taken care of and heard. So I hope that you're getting that either through your supervisor or kind of through your community that you are getting fed
2: yeah, definitely and like trying to <laughs> practice what I preach. and I just started a new of like smoking like herbs to like help with my anxiety. So like mm-hmm. skullcap and like rose and hawthorn and stuff like trying to to find some homeostasis. So yeah, I definitely, and then I also am, am quick just to check in with myself and make sure that I can still show up for people and and just really like processing and evaluating. But it is, it is an interesting time to be in the helping profession because Mm -hmm. a lot of the you know, they say that like the universe will send you clients that have issues that you need to work on, too. But we're all in the pandemic. So <laughs> it's like, yeah. we're all in the same boat for sure.
0: For sure. Yeah. I'm actually I'm actually in a country. I'm actually in a Muslim country right now. And there is a five times call to prayer that happens um, every day. And one of the things that, um, I didn't grow up religious at, at all. And this is a conversation that Jackie and I often end up having, uh, one thing that I am finding kind of magical in that call to prayer though, is it's a reminder for me to check in with myself and, and, and it starts with, with dawn, right. And it ends with like, with dusk. So it's uh, it's all day and this five, like it's five times a day. And it's just, it's, it's prevalent. You can hear it from pretty much anywhere. And it's been a really good opportunity for me to just like hear it. It's, I find it to be very soothing and then use that time to just a minute to check in with myself, like how I'm feeling and um, go- doing it from like doing it maybe like once a week actively during my own therapy session to now doing it five times a day. He's just been an incredible, it's just like a whole shift in my being. Uh, I don't always manage to connect and get the message that I need, but it's just been a really good practice to just get into that habit. So that's just like one of the ways that I'm finding self-care during the time when I have clients all. Yeah, I, I work with couples. I'm the same I'm a coach. I work with couples and uh, it feels like everyone's falling apart right now. Um, so it's been a good way to like hold it together. And I think I was really excited to talk to you today, Sinead, because
1: so much of what we are having to navigate through right now in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of what's happening kind of in our country, just, there's just so many conversations (laughs) that Mm -hmm. either are being had or need to be had that we're having with ourselves that we're having with our partners that we're having with like just so much this again, so much conversation that either needs to be had. That we are forced to have because we are stuck in spaces with each other, or that is left unsaid. And Mm. so we're going to dig into that. I'm, I'm interested in even how you got to this point, like how, I guess two things, how, why sex, why sexuality, why, you know, challenging the status quo in those areas. And then why talking about it? Like, why is that so important? So mm-hmm. like, tell us the origin story, <laughs> Like,
2: Born mm-hmm. no. yeah. on yeah. a dusty road. Like, tell me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was a sunny Sunday in May. <laughs> uh, but I definitely, like, in high school, very much recall being, like, the sexpert of my friends. Mm-hmm. I would watch Talk Sex with Sue Johansson was my favorite show ever. And it like it came on Skinamax, which is Cinemax after 10 PM. So I would have to <laughs> Because, like, after 10 p.m., Cinemax was, like, porn and and breasts and and talk sex to Johansson, and that's what I was there for. So I would watch her talk and how she would just, like, deliver information, and it was just, like, very surreal to be this, like, young black femme watching this, like, older white woman with, like, her vagina models and her anatomy Mm -hmm. dolls and and just, like, talking about, like, sex from this very, like, tangible standpoint where it didn't feel like, ah, you're trying to like give me some like morality shaming white biasness you know it was very much like oh okay this information is something that like i can have and i can hold on to and i don't have to like feel guilty or feel shameful that I'm interested in how my body works and how other people's bodies work. And like this concept of like pleasure, which like hindsight is 2020. So I can like look back on those time periods and be like, look at you building your pleasure arsenal and like advocating for what you need. But like back then I was like, yo, this is like, this is really cool thing that I'm interested in and that I'm just going to stay up so I can make sure I watch it at 10 o'clock. (laughs) <laughs> kind of thing. So it was very much like I would watch talk sex and then I would go back to school and be like, hey guys, did you know that the epididymis is where your sperm matures? <laughs> like, yeah. this is having all my guy friends Great being like, the, is the line. <laughs> 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 Just like, how are your best deference today? Like, are you, do you have a healthy <laughs> diet? And they're just like, what are you mm-hmm. talking about? So like, that was really good. And then I also just recall being like very curious about about my body and masturbation. I remember I had a Kama Sutra at like, seventeen or something and it's being like very interesting to like what are people doing? How are people doing it? And from there, I graduated from high school and I went to Florida A and M University, which is a historically black college. Um, and I, I mostly seeked to go there just because I had been in predominantly white schools because I live in Denver <laughs> and I was just like, yo, if I can just get to a place where like everybody looks like me, things will be like magically different. And what I learned there is that like, it just felt really good to like be in community. And even though we did get kind of siloed, like I very much got labeled an arts kid because I was in choir. So a lot of the people Mm -hmm. I was hanging out with were also in the arts, whether that's the band or whether it's the actors or the actresses, but it was very much like, Ooh, I can't hang out with the business people. Like I got to stay in in my clique kind of thing. Um, but it was just like really just the experience of being in community and the experience of just being with people who had similar experiences to what I was having and just going through world and just all of us being at this black college, just cause we were looking for some kind of sense of, of not formalness. Like we're just trying to be like really personal and really in touch with one another. But one of the things that I really noticed at FAM was that all of our dorms were gender separated. So there were no co-ed dorms. They were all, it was either all male dorms or all female dorms, but they found every opportunity to throw condoms at us and every opportunity to have conversations about sexually transmitted infections about us and hygiene mm-hmm. and other things that like, I was like, y'all don't have good hygiene. Like I'm like, oh, wow. huh. Like, who raised (laughs) y'all? This is definitely a thing. But I was so interested and I'm like, okay, so you're throwing condoms at us, but no, you're not Talking about how to use condoms. You're not talking about like what you need to do to make like the condoms more effective. You're not teaching us how to have conversations with our partners about using condoms. You're just kind of handing all these things to us and we're making water balloons and we're making little puppet animals and stuff out of them because we're not getting any additional conversation. Um and I knew several friends who got pregnant our freshman year. I got STI my freshman year, because you're just you weren't giving us like information about how to have these mm-hmm. conversations and how to like articulate ourselves with that. And then I ended up getting a scholarship to the university of Missouri. So I transferred and I got my degree from Mizzou, but when I got to Mizzou, there was this organization called sexual Health advocate peer educators. And it was basically students on campus. We joined this club and we took however many credit hours the class was about sexuality. So we had like foundational knowledge and we also got taught like how you write a presentation, how you deliver a presentation, classroom management skills, how you market yourself and you present yourself. And that was the first time outside of like Six with Sue because you, you like you see TV hosts and you're like, oh, I want to be Oprah one day. But like how <laughs> tangible is that? To be Mm -hmm. Oprah one day, you know, so I had our director of the organization, um, Heather McPherson, she was there. I was like, yo, I want to be Heather when I grow up. Like it is perfectly possible for me to have a job in the field of sexuality. And it was something that I enjoyed doing and, and like teaching and educating was definitely something that I found a passion in. And from that standpoint, like I was in shape the last three years that I was in school. I taught on campus. I taught off campus. We had um, there was an outbreak of chlamydia at the local nursing home so it was this super fun these days is, yeah. right?
0: they're like
1: we're not gonna use protection
2: right like
0: we can't get pregnant
2: right but it's also like and now all of y'all have chlamydia so mm-hmm. let's talk about that and like and that must have been interesting to go with and have those conversations with folks it who are... really was because it's like I understand that like pregnancy isn't a fear that y'all have and then a lot of people would be like okay I have chlamydia I'm gonna die soon anyway like what's the point in <laughs> just being like, ah, cause you're not wrong. Like, I don't know what to do with that. Right. So being in this organization and like educating to my peers and like having to like teach a nursing home, it was very much like a trial by fire. And now mm-hmm. I feel like I'm at a point as an educator and as a therapist, like there's very little anybody can say to me that will like shock me. And I have mm-hmm. clients all the time who will try to like shock and awe me and I'll be like, oh, okay. Like the Greeks were doing that for hundreds of years, like you're not new, <laughs> um, yeah, so from there, like every job that I've had has either been um education, and I find some way to just, like sneak sexuality into it if it's not like primarily sexuality education. So I worked for the Denver Museum of Nature and Science, I worked in the health. Sector and we had a whole like reproductive system and a whole endocrine system Mm -hmm. laid out. So that's where I would like hang out. I'm like, I'm here to answer questions about these two things. You can ask me questions about anything Mm -hmm. else. Like I know the museum, but if I stay here, that's this is where the questions Mm -hmm. will be kind of thing. I worked at Planned Parenthood. I was a Peace Corps volunteer. Uh, I lived in Rwanda for 18 months and I lived at a health center compound and I did education around Depo-Provera and the liberation that can be like in having contraception I did like a where you try to like do research to find out like what the the problems in the community are. And the top two that came up were like HIV and malaria. So I did a couple different health initiatives to like help people use their bed nets when they're so that mm-hmm. way, you know, you, we can decrease the prevalence of malaria. And then even the whole like uh, in Rwanda, they were doing like cut and cover for HIV prevention. So trying to get people like circumcised because it hardens the tip of the penis just to touch and then like using condoms and stuff like that to try to decrease the amount of like HIV prevalency that was there. And really just like running through that and all of that initially or eventually led to me starting honestly in LLC, which is an education and consultation business. So I do sexuality education wherever people will let me come in and do education, whether that's community centers, resource centers, I host parties then going back to grad school and really feeling called in workshops that I was hosting of people being like, wow, you created this really safe space. And now I want to tell you about my genitals and about my trauma and me being like, I am so unprepared to like, have this conversation mm-hmm. or to, like help you process mm-hmm. this. So going to grad school, just to, to learn the tools enough to create a foundation because what we learn in grad school is very much like what white men have created to help other white people. And that's not mm. something that's digestible in the communities, the way that it's laid out, or at least not digestible in my community. So I went to grad school knowing that, you know, the majority of what they Teach me will definitely be foundational knowledge and that it's my creativity and it's my personality and how I utilize these resources that's really going to allow me to impact my community and affect change the way that um, I see that my community is, is calling of me for. And now, you know, I, I decided to get a clinical degree because I wanted to be able to like run the whole gambit of mental health, everything from the anxiety and depression, but working a lot in sex and sexuality and gender identity, um, and and trauma and pleasure and kink and fetish and 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 everything that exists under that umbrella and just really like now that I'm out of school and I'm working, trying to find, you know, the happy medium between therapist Sinead and sex positive educator Sinead and kink practitioner Sinead and like finding some way for everything to integrate together in a way that feels really good and positive for, for me. And also is going to like allow me to show up for my community. Um, and through that, me, with my co-founder, we created the Chrysalis House, which is a sex positive collaborative based here in Denver. It's basically a community resource center. Um, and our goal is transformation because caterpillars go into a chrysalis to become butterflies. Mm-hmm. And our goals are to show up and hold space for the community, provide education to the community. We rent out space for people to be able to come and teach. We teach workshops and presentations there. Um, and a couple of our pillars are sex work decriminalization criminalization. Um, that's very much mm-hmm. like what my co-founder is very much rooted in. And then I run our education pillar and our therapy pillar. Um, and through those things, we really are just trying to like give to the community the, the resources and the tools that they're asking of us for.
0: You're doing incredible amounts of work. And, it's, uh, I, I, and one of the things that is just coming up for me is how much the way that you're going about it is aligning with the way that we think about our work as well and that this idea of challenging the status quo which is something that's really important to us and 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 looking at um what was given to you which was kind of nothing or whitewashed to then go okay how do i make this right for my community how do i make this right for, for me and my community and providing it in ways that is accessible that's that's inclusive that's rep, you know that represents yeah amazing
1: as you were talking it felt like Oh, so like so deeply resonated with this idea of like pulling on the string and keep like mm-hmm. untangling things. Like that's the visual that I had. Is that you were like, oh, we don't know enough about this, and you start pulling on it, and you're like, wait, but then there's not any spaces for I have to have these conversations. Mm-hmm. and then you keep pulling. Well, then if we're gonna talk about this and this and this, and it just keeps going like deeper and growing and growing and growing. Um, and I think that you have found two people, <laughs> who are like <laughs> are those people who are like let's keep uncovering and excavating and excavating. Yeah. So we like get what into more? it. What more? What more? And then we have like 15 jobs. And, and so like that completely resonates. I think your the conversation around understanding that there are some important frameworks that can help us understand and build on our knowledge, but that we can't stop there, that they really are whitewashed, mm-hmm. that yeah. these are particular frameworks that were created by particular folks for particular folks, and that mm-hmm. we have to do some level of code switching, that we have to do some level of contextualization, that we have to do some level of grounding it in our community norms and language in order to make that information accessible, digestible, and right for our communities. I love that. And I think all of those pieces made me think of what you were saying at the end around integration. And it's something that I've been thinking a lot about and that we talk about in our work around how do these multiple parts of ourselves combine? Like, how do we show up as kinky and sexy, but professional? And Mm -hmm. also, you know, how do you, how do you, what does that look like on social media? What does that look like with your clients? What does that look like with your life? And it's a challenge. I mean, I think in our work, it's about pushing back on external expectations and then internal fears and then reintegrating and reintroducing yourself. Like, hey, this is all of me,
2: and there's not a lot of models for that. No. So good for you. There's not, and it's terrifying. (laughs) Terrifying as hell. Especially Mm -hmm. just because, like, one thing in particular is, like, you know, you don't need a degree to be an educator. You need to be able to, like, articulate yourself, and the longer you're in the game, the more people that know you, the easier it is to become an educator. But to have this, like, role of therapist, especially if you want to take insurance, especially if if you want to apply for grants, so that way you can provide Mm. free therapy. That's a really scary field to be in just looking at, you know, people lose their licenses every day over like dumb shit Mm. and people, you know, get caught up in a lot of things. And sometimes, you know, people are messing up. Sometimes you do something unethical and you deserve that. But sometimes it's like, another person feels like your morals doesn't line up. So now they're calling in complaints on you or uh, someone has a grievance and now they want to take it out on you because you have all of these other facets. So that's definitely like, as I am building this new professional therapeutic identity, I very much refuse to let go of the other identities that I've developed Mm -hmm. and that I have integrated within to myself. And it's just terrifying to think about the fact that, you know, not everybody is, comfortable with themselves. So my comfortability in me can be seen as a threat and can be seen as a reason to like, for people to like lash out.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That really resonates with me is because it's one of the reasons I I so often, I'm a nerd. I like to study. I like to learn just before I'm, you know, I'm I'm, I'm working on a blog, which had me um, researching the neurology of dolphins which is a whole other thing so I'm like I'm a natural learner I my, my brain thrives when it's learning and uh, I, I was good at school I enjoyed it and I very often think about going back to school to get license to be a licensed therapist I whether whether I take the PhD route or the master's or whatever and it's it's this that thing that I'm coming back to which is yes I'm going to learn a bunch of things and it's going to provide me with a certain type of foundation at the same time it's going to limit me. You know, right now I'm able to have conversations with my clients about psychedelics and um, I'm able to have conversations about kink and sexuality. I can, you know, I can be, you know, very explicit. I can refer them to people. I can refer them to to sex workers um, and all those things. If I got licensed and if I was practicing under that, um, there's a part of me that, that doesn't want to let go of the freedom of not being licensed. Mm-hmm.
2: There's so many licensed kinky folks that I know, and it makes me think of like Mm -hmm. jet setting Jasmine, who has a porn empire and a mental health Mm -hmm. empire, or even um, like other kink positive clinicians or other like kinky clinicians who are engaging in kink in their everyday lives. Mm -hmm. So it's very much like these things can be done. So there's a little bit of a path that can be followed, but also like I have a friend who's like, yeah, I'm thinking about letting my license lapse, and like not applying for my license and just like continuing the relationship that I have with my clients and like a coach dynamic and not having to exist under another set of of guidelines and boundaries that I don't have any any control over. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely something that like I'm weighing and I'm thinking about and like understanding within myself but also like I'm giving myself like myself like grace. Like I don't Absolutely. need to have the answers right now. Cause I don't have my license. I'm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. trying to get the hours for my mm-hmm. license right now, you know? So mm-hmm. we'll see what I, what I learned from this. And, and I'm still like in conversation and communication with all my mentors about like what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling and how I'm processing. Mm-hmm. And that's what I feel like a lot of people, especially to be like, a black therapist, especially to be a queer therapist or a femme therapist, you need to have mentors that also share some of those intersections. So that Mm -hmm. way you can have, you know, talks about like the nuance and talks about like the foolishness that occurs in this very whitewashed space where you have these intersecting minority identities.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in a way, I mean, not that, not that that should be the reason, but there's also need for that space. Like there's also need in the space for you with those identities. There just isn't enough practitioners to serve Absolutely. the communities the way that you can with your experience. So in a way, I don't know how you feel, but I can, I can, I can imagine that you're, co- you feel cold to it in, in kind of almost like a duty mm-hmm. kind of way, because there's just, there's just, isn't enough, you know, isn't enough people who are serving that community
2: absolutely and and also having very negative experiences with therapists who are not of color mm-hmm. and even some therapists who are of color like i tell people all the time you know i i am a black therapist but like all skin folk and kin folk you know just because we share this identity doesn't mean that we will get along or we will vibe or we will like each other but what i do know is that my by my presence being in this space i open the door for the next person to feel like they can come and take up space mm-hmm. as well
1: I love that. Sure. So let's talk a little bit about that, about the areas that you've decided to focus on whilst taking up this space. And and so I, I want to dig into the conversation around conversations, but I want to understand first. What are some of the topics that you've decided, okay, as an educator, I've taught internationally, locally, in different places, in nursing homes, in in, in colleges, right? So you've had this breadth of experience and you decided when I create my own curricula, when I create my own series of workshops, I'm going to focus on these things. What were the things that you chose to focus on and why those things?
2: So when I think about my approach to education, I definitely see myself as being like um, like the valet that can open the door. So a lot of the conversations and a lot of workshops that I do are a lot of like beginner introductory, uh, introductory based workshops. So taking, you know, this concept, this idea that people have and opening the door for them to come over and explore and providing, you know, just a little more than the tip of that iceberg. I do like to like give you the the general information, but then I want to provide you a little nugget. So that way, you know, when you're ready to jump into an advanced or an intermediate pool, at least you have some context to come in there with. So, like as a, as a sexuality educator, I think one of the questions that I get asked a lot by newbies is like, they're like, I just want to know everything. I want to talk about everything. And I want to have like a basis in everything. And sexuality is very vast. So it's like, I definitely understand your desire to be like, I want to make sure that I know a little bit about everything that falls under this umbrella. But a lot for me that has really like allowed me to specialize or really put a lot of my intention and focus into are the things that I struggle with. I tell people I'm a a selfish educator. I learned, for me. <laughs> like I have this mm-hmm. question, so I learned so I can answer this question. And then it just so happens that now I have this answer and I can tell it to you as well. So some mm-hmm. of the things that I was really interested in exploring was like the kink and the BDSM realm and like what the benefits for kink and BDSM are, what motivates people to engage in this lifestyle, to fulfill those roles of like dominant, submissive switch power exchange and power dynamics. Like, is there a way to get this experience and get these tools without being locked into what mainstream society tells us that kink and BDSM is supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. I also dabble a lot in communication just because I process out loud. So anytime I have a thought or I have a feeling, I'm constantly like talking to myself, whether it's out loud or it's like in my head and trying to like understand like why do you think this way? Where did you learn this? Is this something that like, you need to put down that's not yours? Is this something that is serving you and is unpacking? So just because I've always been a very like communicative person, that gets me thinking about more of like, okay, like how can I allow people who maybe don't have this natural inclination the same way I do to start engaging in these conversations and to approach these conversations from a way that's going to elicit information and be very nurturing. And even thinking about like in terms of like relationships, people are constantly saying is like the key to a good relationship is communication, but then nobody says like how, nobody says like what we're supposed yeah. to be talking about. Do it well. And that's-
0: <laughs> yes is, oh, yeah 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 i say i talk about this all the time it's like people say communication 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 but nobody tells you how yes. or what that means and it's so for yes. it's wait, like wait, we do wait, wait. communicate we mean to communicate yes. Yes. yes all right so let's talk
1: about that so what does communication mean today tell uh-huh. us yeah
2: so my definition of communication is i really am all about you look at it a two way. So if we're like engaging in relationships, I was going to say, I'm really about understanding, you know, I really want to understand myself. I want to understand what my motivations are and what my triggers are and and why I respond the way I do to certain situations. And, and one of the things I often tell people is that like, if you want to learn more about yourself or you want to learn more about things in general, you have to do stuff. Like you have to put yourself in situations that will elicit a response. And so oftentimes, you know, people talk about, you know, if I had have been there, I would have X, Y, Z. And it's like, you don't know what you would have done. Because until you get into that mm-hmm. position, you don't know what your response is going to be. We can sit here and play the what if game all day. And even with my clients, like I'm real quick to go to like extreme what ifs. It's like, okay, well, like, what if you don't say this? And then a meteor hits the earth. And now we're stuck in a free zone for like 50 years. Now you're going to be stuck in your shack contemplating how you didn't say this thing <laughs> when the world is frozen <laughs> over. Right. So, we try to avoid the, um, what ifs and instead really focus on for me is understanding. Um, but when it comes to relationships and when it comes to be being in relationships with other people, not everybody's the same. You know, my partner doesn't process the way I process. My partner isn't Mm -hmm. as interested in like having the very tactical, understanding of themselves that I am interested in. So I focus mm-hmm. not so much on trying to like understand my partner so much as I just accept <laughs> my partner and I have to accept mm-hmm. it. Like, okay, that's how you feel. That's how you think. And even though I want to like dig in more, like, they may not have the capacity to like answer that because they don't communicate or think the way it is that I think. So understanding can definitely be one point of communication. um, But just as important as understanding is acceptance and figuring out like what you can then do with the information that you're being given and whether or not that's information that, sits well within you or it's information that doesn't sit well within you and now you need to start accepting something else from somebody else. Mm-hmm. Communication is really about building a, a foundation with which to build all of the other experiences that you're going to be able to have with. And it's also about putting yourself in places to give you something to communicate. So people talk about all the time about how, you know, my best friend just got a boyfriend and I don't ever see her because she's spending all her time with him. And it's like, okay, well, what are they talking about if they're not separating to go live in their own worlds to bring something back, to be able to, to say like, this is what I learned about, or like, this is what I think about now kind of thing. So it's really the first step to communication is experience. Mm-hmm. Is you need to go experience mm-hmm. and then you come back and you tell us what you experience, what you learn, how you feel, how you were perceived in that experience. And that builds the foundation for you to be able to continue with understanding or continue with acceptance.
1: It's so interesting. Cause I think in the beginning of relationships, Afi and I were just talking about this on our IG live that you're like consumed with conversation, right? You're talking till three in the morning. You're talking all the time. You can't. And because you're trying to catch up on each other's lives, right? You've lived whole lives before each other. And now you're just desperately trying to like download everything and upload everything from them. And then at some point you're all caught up (laughs) and you're just like, okay, (laughs) now (laughs) what do we talk about? And to your point, part of the like, we have nothing else in common. This doesn't feel exciting anymore. This doesn't, is because there wasn't these other lives, like we weren't living our own lives and having this relationship. Mm -hmm. Our lives became this relationship. And once we've Mm -hmm. exhausted everything that came before it, there was nothing left to talk about except the dishes. That's no longer sexy Mm -hmm. and fun and new. And so I love what you're saying around ensuring that we are keeping our own selves and our own lives, at least just so we have something to talk about.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I would even go as far as to say, maybe even ration those conversations so because i think in having those conversations in conversations in that all consuming way the time lapses where you don't yeah. do anything else so i would go as far as to say like ration those getting to know your conversations while doing other things and like so that you have a nice continuous um feedback loop of like new stuff that's happening to you and then you're catching up on like the old mm-hmm. stuff but it's hard when you're all consumed you're all yeah. consumed you know? So
1: let's talk about the three conversations that you are going to be exploring on wednesday september 16th which are vet check-in and split tell <laughs> when i first first of all let me say when i first read it, really funny, I, it i was like i thought it said vet check-in and spit as in like spitting someone <laughs> out and i remember and i slapped effie and i was like yeah, that's, that's the workshop we're going to do about like, let's, let's check in with them and then let's just spit them out. And she's like, no, no split split. And I was like, Oh yes, we don't ever talk about that. We don't ever talk about the conversation at the end of the relationship. So take us on the journey of the vet check and, and, and split uh, conversations and and why. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go into it. I'm interested.
2: Yeah. So I feel like vet check and split is something that I have not only acknowledged as an experience that I have when I get in and out of relationships, but also something that like my friends were talking a lot about and I am real quick to notice like a pattern and notice like a theme. And that's what really came up for me is that like, so the vetting conversation that starts at the beginning of a relationship. And this also exists like in the realm of like non-monogamy and like kink, but also just in any relationships that you're having in general. So you're vetting this person to figure out if this person is a person that you want to spend time and, be around with. And like, it's basically like the conversation that you have on your first couple of dates where you're trying to figure out like, is this a good human? Is this a human whom I at least want to spend, you know, some, some bit of my monetary time with, or trying to label what it is that you want from the relationship. So it's like, is this a human whom I want to have conversations with all the time? Or is this a human whom I want to have sex with and only want to see between the hours of 9 PM and 5 AM? Like really just trying to figure out what it is that you want. And the vetting conversation starts first with what it is that you want. Um, so I see a lot of times, Mm -hmm. like definitely in memes and on Facebook and stuff, where it's like, if you want to have sex with me, just say, you just want to have sex with me. So I can go back to finding my forever partner so I can have sex with you and then go back to doing what it was that I was doing. Like, don't, fool yourself into Mm -hmm. what society tells you that a relationship has to look like. Or I've had clients who feel like, yeah, I just want to have sex with this person. But now I feel guilty because I don't want to like use them or I don't want them to just be like my sexual plaything. And it's like the first thing is figuring out what you want and then coming to terms with, with what you want and what you want, as long as it's with a consenting adult and it's not causing anybody any harm is okay. If you just want to have sex with this human, that's cool. Articulate that to that human. And then sometimes what we hear or what I hear when I like break that down for people is like, well, I don't want to tell them the truth because what if they don't then want to give me what I want now that they know what it is that I want. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, so then you're causing harm to a person, you know, you're engaging in something that's Mm -hmm. unethical. And that's what we really talk about when we talk about ethical non-monogamy and Mm non-ethical non-monogamy. And I've been a non-ethical, non-monogamous, you know, so I know I, I tell people all the time that like I'm a reformed fuck boy. So like I, I know mm-hmm. that experience and what that looks like and how it feels to be like, you know, I want to tell them just enough so that way I get what it is that I want. But now I then have to deal with this other person's feelings because what they thought they were getting was something completely different than what I was offering. Mm -hmm. So before you can vet a person, you got to vet yourself and figure out what it is that you want. And then it's, you know, those first date conversations of like, how do you feel about black lives matter? How do you feel about abortions? Who do you love? (laughs) Do you believe the trans women are women? And these are like the conversations that I lead with in new relationships, because I just want to get like I just Let's want to be to it. I don't want Let's to spend more time on you yes. than I have to. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah. And, and vetting doesn't, I, people ask me all the time of like, how many vetting conversations, like how long does that last? There's no timeline. Sometimes you are vetting, you know, that same partner that you've been in a relationship with for years and you're still asking the hard questions and you're still asking for, for new information about them and really trying to like get below the surface into like the bottom layers of that iceberg to really get to know and understand a person so that's Mm -hmm. definitely how things start
0: i'm curious about the vetting conversation because i um similar i think we 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 sort of have similar vibes around this uh uh, around this dialogue that i definitely struggle with small talk i know that same with jackie uh we kind of just get deep and hard and ask the, the hard questions and we like dig deep into people and we're we're willing to share we're willing to be vulnerable and share as well I'm curious to what your experience is when you go with those questions hard in those first, second um, dates, because I know that I've had feedback before of like, oh, I feel like I'm being interrogated. I feel like I've been um, interviewed. And, you know, I I have my own way, I have my own reflections on that, those comments. But I'm curious because I can, I can, I can definitely imagine that some of our listeners are going, whoa, those are, those are like, those are really hard conversations to have right up front. So I want to kind of like play that, you know, that that sort of devil's advocate and, and ask that question.
2: Yeah. So my experience with it has been that. I'm trying to figure out like a way to sell to say this without sounding full of myself. Now no, that's We create a
1: space to do it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I was gonna say, be full of yourself. What? yeah.
2: <laughs> I feel like a lot of people who are interested in me know who I am. So whether it's because mm-hmm. they see me on social media, or they've been to a class that I'm in, or they're in the field. So I don't run too much into people feeling blindsided when I ask, you know, who do you love? And they're like, like, I'm like, who do you like? Who are you attracted to? And I feel like maybe like a layman's person might be like, especially like, I feel like maybe a person who's not in the field, maybe like, uh, like, what do you mean who I love? Like, I guess I'm attracted to like women mm-hmm. and it's like, cool. So it's like, do you, you engage in like relationships with like trans women? Cause like those are women too. And then I feel like if a person who maybe wasn't in the field or maybe wasn't as comfortable with that, you know, I could very much see that being like a, a kind of blindsiding question or a question that could ensue a little bit of anxiety and to that i say it's all about like delivery like if you walk into the restaurant and you turn the spotlight on them and you're like interrogating them <laughs> and trying to get into it of course they're going to feel like they need to be defensive but if you're opening the door and just being like yo like so just like a heads up of like whoever you love whoever you're interested in like that's dope that's great you know i'm really just trying to like understand more about you but a lot of the people that i date are in the field Mm-hmm. And or are people who have some kind of like my my reputation precedes me. <laughs> I will say. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so I don't, run into those instances too much because sometimes like what I'll hear from like new people who are trying to date me is like, yo, I saw, you know, your YouTube video on such and such. And that really like started to make me like open, open up and understand and think blah, blah, blah. And then for me, it becomes like, Ooh, I'm not trying to be in a relationship where like I have to teach per Mm -hmm. se. Like I am not like your personal educator. Like I definitely want to have these conversations with you, but it's also like, being a therapist, like, I don't want to be your therapist partner. Like I want to, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be proactive in helping you, process your trauma and and understand your experiences. I want to be here to support you as you go through that, but I don't want to be the one who's like guiding you through it per se. Mm-hmm. So I and I think that like definitely as you become more comfortable with with yourself and what you're looking for in relationships, I think that you start to open yourself up to the kind of people that are actually going to be of service to you and be open to the things. So, for the podcaster that's like, oh, you know, I really want to ask those questions, but I ask those questions and those people run away. So, I was like, that's not a person that you want to engage with anyway. So, it's like no love lost in yeah. that occurrence. I think that's true. I
1: think that what you were sharing around the first step. Being know, knowing thyself, and talking to yourself, and figuring out what you want, also means figuring out your communication style. So what you, what the nugget that you're sharing is, get clear about the things that are important to you and the type of people you want to spend time with, and then communicate that in the beginning. Communicate your desires in the beginning, and show who you are essentially in the beginning. And so for at you and I and Effie, it is to be like, here are the things, right? Like I'm, I'm going to be with my partner now for uh, almost, we're almost together two years, and. Our first like OK Cupid exchange Was me being like Listen This is what I figured out I know how to be a wife I know how to be a girlfriend I don't know how to do this Like dating thing Of whatever This is who I am Here like four paragraphs To describe me And like this is it And then she was like Alright bet Like I'm in Alright And then And we were And let me say I did that same Kind of intro To a few people Before that And they were like Oh yeah that's a lot Like i uh, And I'm like Okay great <laughs> To your point Those are not my people then Like we can find Other ways to collaborate collaborate and exchange and and have connection, but it's not going to be this level of intimacy because that is how I show up in the world. And so I Mm -hmm. love what you're saying around the the takeaway is know what you want and be able to communicate what you want and who you are. The way in which you do that, whatever style, if it's soft or hard, like we go is going to be reflective of the type of people you draw to you, which is right, which is, is, -hmm. is who you're supposed to be drawing to you, I guess. I don't know. What are your Mm -hmm. thoughts on that? I'm interested.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's where I where I land most most of the time. I think I I wanted to bring it up for those people who's you know who who are not as I guess grounded in in, in these experiences as we are. Um, I mean I the, the thing the thing that comes up for me is if somebody sort of says, "Oh, you're intimidating," my response is uh, I think I believe you are intimidated mm-hmm. rather than just like it being my you know, my full or, or like my being in the world is my being in the world. And if, if that's intimidating to you, if you're intimidated, you know, I'm sorry for your experience. Um, but oh, you're nice. So I'm know. like, Oh, that sounds like
2: a you problem. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that don't sound like it's got anything to do with me. <laughs> Yeah, I know. exactly. So I mean but but I'm I'm now at a place in my life that I can do that, you know? And there was definitely there has been times when that when that came up, I, I cr- you know, I crumbled and I was like, "Oh, I don't want to be this person." And now I've I've definitely grown into that and I own it like you said, I'm like, it's, you know, sounds like a you problem. But, you know, I, I mean, I, I switch it around immediately if that kind of conversation comes up. I think one of the missions for Curious Fox is to provide inspiration and permission to our community. Mm-hmm. And I think this is also an opportunity for us to kind of inspire people to be who they are. And even when they might be put on the spot or blindsided or or feel like they're with somebody who feels blindsided and i think it's kind of giving them inspiration of how to handle that and also permission to be your full you know fully self-expressed self out there and realize that if you're not getting the response that you want um those people probably isn't, aren't, aren't for you they're not the right match for you in whatever whatever form that comes so
2: that's absolutely correct. And I find myself a lot with like clients just asking the question, of like what permission do you need to give yourself to let that go? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, what permission do you need for that to no longer be something that you carry? Especially like if you're processing, you know, when I tell people about like kind of knowing yourself and presenting yourself out there, there's this fear of rejection. There's this fear of like, okay, so what if I, what if I tell this person what I know about myself and this person doesn't want to be with me anymore? And it was like, okay, like there are 3 billion people on the planet, like onto the next person. Like there, <laughs> there are too many humans that exist for us to, it, it feels maybe like an illogical response to be like, ah, if this human didn't like me, no one's going to like me again. It's very much that like mm-hmm. all or nothing and asking people to like, do you think that that is like rational? Like, can you think of a time where you had a friend who you didn't like that friend and it wasn't anything that this person said? Like sometimes we don't vibe and that's fine. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You don't have to vibe and connect with everybody who's out there because you will vibe and connect with somebody. As long as you, again, continue to have experiences, Mm -hmm. continue to put yourself in places where you can experience. Mm -hmm.
1: So we've found our people. We've gone through the vetting process, right? We have Mm -hmm. shown who we are. We've gotten clear about our desires. We've communicated those things. We've decided, okay, we want to do this thing together, this relationship thing. We're in the relationship. What's the next phase of conversation that we're going to get into?
2: Yes, so the check-in conversation. And check-ins are very intentional times where you sit and you discuss your relationship. And I say this to people and they'll be like, oh, we talk about our relationship all the time. And it's like, yeah, you're talking about who's going to do the dishes and you're talking about what's for dinner and you're talking about this new sex position that you want to try. But are you talking about the goals you have for your relationship? Are you talking about what you're learning about yourself or what you're noticing in this other person as you continue to go through this relationship? relationship. And a lot of times what I'll hear from people who have been in relationships for long times is like, I don't know this person anymore. I didn't know that they didn't like barbecue pizza. When I met them, they loved barbecue pizza (laughs) and it's like, okay, but when was the last time y'all sat down and had a conversation about your relationship and how you're showing up? And so like very typical questions is like, what are you getting that you don't need? What do you need that you're not getting? What are the goals for the relationship? And when I say that, I'm very specific to be like, not to be on the relationship escalator. Like I hate it when people are like, we want to take our relationship to the next level. And it's like, what is that? Is that like loungewear? Is that like pajamas are upstairs and like shoes are downstairs? Like, I don't don't understand what that means. Because more often than not, people just want to continue to feel some kind of connection and they want to continue to feel like they have some kind of openness and vulnerability to continue to take risks. And you get that by having check-in conversations. And also check-ins are the opportunity to, like I say, do roses and thorns. So what are things that are going really well in our, in our relationship? And what are things that are not going so well? Now this does not mean that between check-ins that you're writing down all the shit about your partner that annoys you. You know, the check-in is not the time to be like, yo, on the fifth, you said this and I didn't like that. And on the 12th, you on the 12th you left dishes in the dishwasher and I wasn't liking that. You know, you, you still want to address things in the moment, but the check-in phase might be a time to be like, yo, so remember when you didn't take the dishes out the dishwasher after I asked you to take the dishes out the dishwasher And we just, I just felt a lot of tension. I really am invested in you taking the dishes out the dishwasher because I'm stressed or because this is what, this is what I'm bringing to the table. And just having you take the dishes (laughs) out the dishwasher would take some stress off me. You know, that's something that I'm getting right now that I don't need is the stress of the dishwasher. (laughs) So you still want to confront it in the moment, but now at the check-in, it's a time to Open it up for more discussion. And the way that you make people not feel the need to be defensive is you don't attack them. You don't say you never take the dishes off the dishwasher. So you don't love me. You don't care about me. You know, I just got a new promotion. You know, I'm stressed out. You don't care that I'm stressed out. That's not how you deliver that. It's very much like when you don't take, you use your I statements and you talk about how you feel, you know, when you don't take the dishes off the dishwasher. It feels like I have one more thing to do when I get home. And with this new job, I have so many things to do. And just having one less thing to do would make me feel a lot better. Um, Even in terms of like sex and sexuality that you're experiencing, I say that people should have, you should have like an after interview after you have sex (laughs) and just talk about like, what was something really good that you enjoyed? What is something that you would prefer that I didn't do again? (laughs) What is something that like, maybe you want to try next time? You know, it's the check-in is all about, creating an intentional time to take emotional risks and in having those intentional emotional risks, you will learn more about yourself, more about your partner, and you will allow for your relationship to, to evolve and mature into whatever that looks like for y'all.
0: All that absolutely 100% um, I agree with, I think in addition, what I find the check-ins also allow people is, especially those, those of us who might be more anxious in their relationships, knowing that check-in is going to happen, especially if you have anxiety around being heard or being seen, um, if, if that's a tender place for you and you, maybe you're not so great and ensuring that you're heard and seen, knowing that the check-in happens, especially if it's regularly if it's gonna happen regularly, that you know that there's gonna be space allocated for you to be seen and heard. And I think that's also is also a really good reason to have those check-in times some people who struggle with conflict or who struggle being heard in the moment it might be hard to bring things up but knowing that there's space held for that and that if if it doesn't happen in the moment that it's going to happen at some point can i i also find can really alleviate some tension and some like just prolonged anxiety Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yes and especially
2: if you build parameters around the check-in if you establish like okay Mm -hmm. so in this space We are going to listen to each other to understand, not listen to respond, Mm -hmm. not listen to defend. We're going to listen to really understand and hear what the other person is saying. In this space is also a safe space for us to be able to like air grievances and be able to talk about, you know, the stressors that we're having in our relationship without having to have the conflict of like, ah, are they going to leave me? Or do they think that I'm a horrible person now? Like, no, this is the place for us to be able to do this. We can also agree that when we leave the check-in space, you know, that like whatever happens, any conflict that happens in the check-in stays in the check-in. And when we leave out of the space, Mm -hmm. we're able to take the lessons that we've learned and the emotions that we felt and allow that to guide us into more nurturing and serving places within our relationship. Um, and people ask me a lot, like, so how often should we be checking in? And I, feel like once a month is good for me and my relationship where we stand up. Um, and one thing that we find is we don't even have to like schedule it. Like the moon shifts away and we're like, Hey, (laughs) let's check in. Right. Um, but for some people, Mm -hmm. you know, you might need to schedule every Tuesday at four 30, we're going to meet at Panera and we're going to have this very intentional conversation about our relationship. Or if you're busy people, especially if you have careers or if you're parents, like you do need to get it on the calendar so you know that this opportunity mm-hmm. is coming up and it's something that has value for for everyone who is involved
0: for mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I also love this idea of creating a container where you are saying like, this is when we're going to talk about it. And when we're done, we're done. It's not something that we're going to take away and ruminate over and keep bringing it up. But it's like, you know, here are the the time frame that we're going to discuss this. We're going to come mentally prepared, emotionally prepared. And when it's done, it's done pro tip that I give to my clients with check-ins is to have an intentional what I call state change scheduled immediately afterwards so I tell people if you do it in your kitchen um, make sure once you're done go move to the living room or go for a walk if you're doing it somewhere like Panera you know pay your bill go out and get coffee somewhere mm-hmm. else um, make sure you have the container and a state change where you can truly say this is going to stay we're now moving away into mm-hmm. something else um, and then just take it just take the learnings away and then put them into action if needed and then just go back to it you know when when it's time again to do Mm -hmm. a check-in again i think that's really important
1: yeah and being disciplined about that i mean i've had conversations with my partner and she's been like you know i don't hold grudges But you remember last week when you (laughs) that's not wait
0: you remember last week on Tuesday at two thirteen (laughs) PM?
1: I mean, I'm someone once I forgive something, I forget it. You know, last time when we were talking two weeks ago and you're just like, No, 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 no. So I do, I like I really do like are we how are we feeling? Are we feeling good about this? Like can we can this live in this space and and make sure that it doesn't spill out and like and into regular life? Yeah, that's great. It's great advice.
0: Also, like, are we done? Mm. Like, I, sometimes it's just like, you just need to just t- keep talking about it until you're done. And if you're not done, I think you just need to have yeah. more space mm-hmm. rather than saying, OK, we talked yeah. about it now and we're over it. If you're not over it, just own yeah. the fact that you're not over it and you just need to keep talking about it for the next three right. sessions. And then you like the space is held, you know, rather than you kind of bringing it up, like sneaking it in when you're. Pace that something else (laughs) exactly and Mm -hmm. i like what you said about you know for the next few sessions because or times together
1: i think that i am the type of person who has a sense of urgency shanae like you i think that i am like we're gonna talk about it like it's on my mind so it's gonna come out of my mouth and it's like well it's three in the morning Mm -hmm. and it's monday night or it's sunday night and tomorrow's work and i'm like that doesn't matter like (laughs) we're gonna talk about it and so i've certainly gotten gotten better about okay, we're both exhausted, we're both stressed, we're both hungry, I still want to press on and talk about it, but I'm, it's not going to end with the best results. So I'm going to live in my discomfort of not talking about it until mm. we eat, until we sleep, until whatever. I do mm. want to figure out when we will talk about it. Like, we're not going to just like keep going about sure. the day. And, you know, so, all right, tomorrow afternoon we can talk about it fine. And I'll give myself and that person the space to, to get through that. Um, but I think that, sure. that that's right. That sometimes these conversations are going to pull up things that will take more than how long it takes to have a sandwich at Panera. And- And that we may Mm -hmm. need to continue that conversation, but being mindful in the same way that you said about it's not just what we say, certainly, but how we say it. Are we continue to be in the right space for this conversation?
0: Mm hmm and the time which, like you said i i have never i have never heard anything being resolved at a conversation that's prolonged to 3 a.m in the morning it, it just i've never seen it i've never i mean i've never heard of anybody it. saying right, I'm, well, gonna I'm gonna try, try and three, find three out <laughs> oh, okay i will keep <laughs> yeah. trying it's just
1: i will <laughs> keep having arguments at three in the morning <laughs> to see if it works and i will report back no you're right yeah. no you're right at third point, just, i know <laughs>
0: I know, yeah. It just it just doesn't get resolved, you know. It just gets mm-hmm. worse and worse and worse. So I think, um, you know, I mean, if I, please, our listeners, <laughs> if you are if you're somebody who's like c- continuously and successfully resolving conflict at three a.m., I want to know. I just haven't heard of that. I just haven't heard anybody who can do that. Uh, so
2: uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. and I know yeah. that
2: uh, There's one thing that you were mentioning, Jacqueline, is that like I I will be very clear about my opinions and how I feel and what's going on with me, but sometimes I do experience difficulty in like trying to get it out of my mouth and articulating it to my partner. Mm-hmm. And, and when you're talking about like, Oh, okay, we can't talk about this right now. Like I will just sit in the uncomfort. I know for mm-hmm. me, I have to be very, very conscious and very intentional about like taking emotional risks and mm-hmm. about challenging myself and about showing up vulnerable. Cause like I said, like, you know, I am a reformed fuck boy. Like I got the emotional walls. Like I know how to do that. So it's like the challenge of like pulling, things down to be able to like articulate myself is, is hard, is hard. And that's why it's very like, you have to be intentional about like who, who you can take emotional risks with Mm -hmm. and who you can't take emotional risks with. And also like weighing, you know, is, is it worth whatever the impact on me is going to be to show up and try to express myself to you in this moment? Is that that risk going to be worth what the possible resolution is going mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's hard. I, I tell people all the time, I'm like, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. teaching you this, I'm talking about this, but please don't think that like, I'm just having the most amazing relationships and the most amazing communication ever. Cause sometimes it's very mm-hmm. much like do what I say and not what I did. That's mm-hmm. how I came to what I have to sure. say. Cause I yeah. did it. <laughs>
1: it's absolutely yesterday. I and I we talking yeah. about like, we fail, you know, fail to win. Like we made so many mistakes that we learn sure. from that helps us then be like, Hey, this is what happened. And then, because we're nerdy, we research it. We figure out, oh, everybody else mm-hmm. is dealing with this too, and we kind of dig in. So, okay, so
2: we vetted the person. Sorry,
0: I was just gonna say, uh, just because I know better doesn't mean I do better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
2: And like, especially like I have so many clients who are therapists and especially like just me myself, it's like, I have all the tools where I shouldn't have ended up in that situation. And then I ended up in that situation. Mm-hmm. So now I'm a horrible person or I'm a horrible at this profession or, or I just suck at this and that. And it's like, no, like when you are in spaces where you are being a professional, that's completely different from when you are in spaces where you are being a human and you are being a person. Mm-hmm. I tell people all the time that like, I'll tell people I'm a therapist and they'll be like, ah, I'm going to stop talking. And I'll be like, you're not paying me. That side of my brain isn't on right now. <laughs> I could care less about what you say. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so it's like, I don't show up as therapist today in other aspects of my life. You know, I am, I am human today. Those other, um, however much time I'm not being a therapist. So that's like a, another mm-hmm. huge takeaway. It's like, just because you, you do this for a living or just because like you have this knowledge and these tools, you're still human and you don't always have the mm-hmm. same access or reach to those tools. Like you would, when you don't have on your professional hat.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, I'm going to let yeah, this yeah, sit and yeah. soak, soak in for a minute. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So let's continue down the journey. We have vetted the person. We have now checked in. And at some point, at some check-in, that Panera Bread conversation, it did not go well. And we are realizing Um, that Panera, by the way, better sponsor us for this episode. right?
2: (laughs) St. Louis Bread Co. You me some
1: sandwiches. (laughs) We we just gave ourselves away so quickly. We were like, sponsor us. Or just send us a sandwich. Like, we (laughs) devalued ourselves in in, in speed time. Okay. So, we we have conversations. We're doing some check-ins, and these check-ins are helping us reveal, like, there are just some things that we cannot get past.
2: Walk us through the next kind of conversation that comes up in this moment? Yeah. So the check-in conversation is definitely twofold. Check-ins are so you know where you are in your relationship. You know how you feel in your relationship. And if the end of the relationship is coming, you know why. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people where they're like, I don't know why they broke up with me. I don't know why my relationship ended. I feel like I just want to text them because I need closure. Closure is a myth. (laughs) closure does not exist. What you're trying to do is resolve the unfinished feelings that you feel within yourself. That is a, you problem. They're not going to be resolved with the input of another person. So I tell people all the time, closure doesn't exist, but if you have these check-ins, if you can look back at the relationship and look back at the check-ins, you can oftentimes find the thread that was pulled on that unraveled, you know, the relationship or that unraveled, or, or led to why, you know, we now need to have a conversation about us no longer being together. And that is the thing about the, the split conversation. So I oftentimes think about it as an exit interview, the same exit interview you might have when you leave a job. Um, so you're able to say because, you know, so often like people will be like, so and so left me. I don't know why they left me. I don't know what I did wrong you know, I was perfect. I showed up and I gave my heart. I did their laundry. I made them five course dinners, but it's like, okay, so you were doing acts of service when their love language was touch. Like how often did you touch your partner? Partner left you because they were getting touch. And if you were having a check-in conversation where you're like, what do you need more of that you're not getting? Your partner could have been like, you don't touch me. So I feel like you don't want me. I feel like you don't like me. And then when you get to the split conversation, you're like, Hey, you still don't touch me. I don't think you like me. I can't do this relationship anymore kind of thing. So the the split conversation also gives you the opportunity to talk about what you've learned and what you've grown and even help that person learn and grow more for their next relationship as well. So it might be your opportunity to be like, yo, like, I feel like I opened up so much to you and I feel like you never really gave me anything. What do you think that I needed to do as a partner for you to be able to like open up to me more or be able to like, blah, blah, blah more. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's not a you problem. It's a they problem. Sometimes you asking this question can then reflect to them that like, Hey, Maybe I don't take emotional risks because I'm waiting for the other shoe to fall. Mm -hmm. And in waiting for that other shoe to fall, I manifest that shoe falling and I manifest Mm -hmm. the demise of this relationship. Sometimes the split conversation happens way after the relationship ends. You know, people are like, well, I hate this person. I don't have a conversation with them right now. And it's like, that's okay. You know, maybe after the hate dies down. Three years later, y'all see each other on the light rail and you're like, hey, should we go to Starbucks and process you know, why we broke up uh, <laughs> kind of thing or, or something like that. But really the split conversation is an exit interview. And sometimes the split conversation is a conversation you have to have with yourself. There's no involvement mm-hmm. from the other person. And that's mm-hmm. why I tell people that closure is a myth because you are trying to resolve the feelings within you. And because they are your feelings, the only one who can resolve them is you. It doesn't really matter what that output that other person can give to you. It's all you, it's all your problem. So it's you who has to fix it. or you who has to, to either find some comfortability in the fact that these feelings will not be resolved or you who has to package these feelings up and put them somewhere else so you can go on and be Mm -hmm. on with the rest of yourself. And then also like, what permission do you need to give yourself to pack this up and stop looking at it on your floor and like actually kind of like move on with yourself. Mm -hmm. But for those people who like, if you've had typically like very good conversation and communication in a relationship, like typically the split conversation is not a conversation that was not anticipated oftentimes you, you see yourself in the relationship, just being able just to be like, yo, this isn't working. And then like, Mm -hmm. no, it's not working. It's like, we keep, we keep trying to make it work, but you know, there's just something that's not clicking and it's really just holding space for one another just to sit with the group realization that this is not working. And then you get the opportunity to like resolve all those feelings of like, you know, I really cared about you. I feel like I showed up in ways and were vulnerable with you that I had never done that before. And now you get to sit and look at like, so what, what container was created for you to be able to be vulnerable? You know, a lot of like self-processing of like, what have you learned about yourself from the experience of being in this relationship?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the conversations that we've had last episode is around the difference between um, the people that you're in a relationship with and the relationship itself. And there's are two separate entities. You can love somebody, you can care for them deeply. Um, you can even want them to be in your life. But if you're not compatible, if you can't um, agree on the container in which you're going to relate to one another, that the container can't sustain both of you to thrive, it, it doesn't, you know, it, it could just be about the container and not about the other person. And, and it, the conditions for the conditions for them to thrive and the conditions for you to thrive m- might just not be compatible. And that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean how you feel about them or what, what it what they represent as a person, but just that you need different things that might not coexist easily.
2: And there are definitely aspects of being in a relationship that I feel like people become more attached to than necessarily the person that you're in a relationship with. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, having the constant attention, having the routine of having Mm -hmm. somebody to talk to and somebody who's texting you and you're processing with. It's it's satisfying skin hunger. It's having somebody, another warm body in the bed with you at night. Mm -hmm. It's it's feeling like you have reason to, to show up to this place and to do this thing. So a lot of times with people who are like processing the end of the relationship, it's like looking at what part is actually impacting you. Is it not having this person and these characteristics in your life? Or is it loss of routine? Is it loss of some kind of like grounding that you are experiencing in being in a relationship with another person?
1: Ooh, Shanae. Wow. Let me tell you, this was like, this was like relationship church right now. That's, 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 that's my feeling. I'm literally sitting back in my chair. My hands are up. I'm like fanning myself. This was good. Yay. I'm in the middle of the conversation. I'm telling you already. I'm (laughs) I'm this podcast episode is good. Let me, all right. So Mm -hmm. let me, let me talk about my takeaways because there were many and I've been taking notes. First of all, that certainly just the reminder of it's not what we say, but how we say it, right? We learned that in kindergarten and yet- as grown adults, we continue to struggle. We need to be reminded. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I this is a conversation that I have with my partner often where she'll be like, all right, I'm sorry, okay? How do you – I care about how you feel, and I'm saying the thing. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> everyone calm down. <laughs> <laughs> the way that you're saying it is different than the words that you're saying. and so, so just that, of course, I think is something. I think this idea certainly of knowing what you want and knowing who you are so you can find your people. Super important. I love these check-in questions of what do you need more of that you're not getting? And what are you getting that you don't need? That last question, I think, is something that I, I need to incorporate that I haven't already. I love the idea of an after sex check-in. Fantastic. I like this, this what you talked about around a check-in is making intentional time to take an emotional risk. And that we're building the parameters and the container to communicate and to understand, and that check-ins help us understand what makes our relationship successful and why our relationship maybe did not work. I love again this idea of closure is not about is about wait closure is about trying to resolve an unaddressed feeling within yourself. I was like, we need to make a quote about that and put that out there, and that
0: closure is a myth. Is closure is a myth? That's me. Closure is a myth.
1: Yeah, totally. And that, yeah, and that the split cl- conversation can happen years later, or maybe it's just a conversation that you happen have with yourself. And this idea that you just shared now around: are we really missing the person? Or are we missing the loss of the routine? Are we missing mm-hmm. text messages? Are we missing feeling seen? And lastly, I think my takeaway always is that we have permission to be human. That is something that mm-hmm. I often have to remind myself that my, <laughs> I love humans and I am so badly frustrated with my own humanity. And so that all of this felt like a real permission to just be human and to lead into that, mm-hmm. lead into the fact that we are humans with other humans. Yeah.
2: yeah. That's, that's hard to hold.
1: Being human is dumb. <laughs> what not? <It> <laughs> yeah. Whole episode on just how being human is dumb. <laughs> I, I'm mad. I just get furious anytime I like thirst or hunger or have to sleep, it feels like it is getting in the way. <laughs> This having she's to peeing eat peeing stuff? Yeah, she's oh the bathroom, Come on.
0: What? I, I, I feel like peeing breaks my flow all the time. <laughs> I'm like, what? I was I just know. writing. <laughs> now I to pee. Do you know what yeah. I could accomplish
1: in this world if I did
2: not have to sleep, ladies? Like I am just
0: uh, I, can't, yeah, I can't. The Taurus in down. me, yeah. you know,
2: the Taurus in me, if nothing else, I'm gonna go lay down.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. That's funny. Uh, <sighs> My- um, one of my quotes <laughs> that gets passed around is um, and built uh, is about uh, making the effort to create relationships that can contain the humanity of those in it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 because yes. ultimately that's all. That's what we bring our humanity, our our most wonderful and darkest humanity yeah. is is all we get to believe. All, all we get to um, mm-hmm. to bring. Mm-hmm. So.
1: Before we wrap and tell you how you can get more of Shanae and more of this information, because I know that you want it, we are going to do a rapid fire round of four questions. So get ready, stretch it it out. All right, all right. Four questions, and then and then we're gonna we're gonna say talk about this workshop next week. Okay. So, what is one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self about love, sex, or relationships?
2: You're queer. Go be queer. Boys are easy, but you're queer. So go be queer. <laughs> yes. Love it. That was really, that Love was for it. somebody out there. I really felt that one. That, that is true. true Boys right are there. easy. I, They're simple. You can get what you want uh, out of them. No must, no fuss. But I mm-hmm. guarantee you that there are queer humans who will give you the things that you want and mm. you will feel better about yourself than having to do the thing that's simple. <laughs>
0: Mm-hmm. Hear, here, here. Love that, I agree, I think somebody heard that out there For sure, for sure Okay, what is one romantic Or sexual adventure on your bucket list?
2: I Want to Go to like Bali or like Indonesia And take like those rose petal baths Those baths that are like Drawn with like so much intention That they like make you a design on the rose petals and then somebody else cleans it up. I don't have to clean it up. <laughs> I think that's the part that makes it a fantasy. Cause I can go buy a crap ton of rose petals, but then I have to clean it up.
1: <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. I love it. All right. Um what is one way that you challenge the status quo?
2: I think one way I challenge the status quo is that although I have a lot of fear about, you know, entering this new profession, I don't let that fear stop me from showing up authentically. I don't let that fear stop me from saying, you know, this is what I think and this is how I feel. Um, and I know that. For a lot of people, especially like a lot of like kinksters, they want to kink like on the low. But I know that in order for me to show up and be a resource for a community, I do have to just continue to be my authentic self and to be me. And anything less than that would not sit well to me. And if that makes somebody else feel uncomfortable, they problems is they problem.
0: Mm-hmm. You know that. Love it, love it. Uh, last but definitely not least, what are you curious about recently? What am I curious about recently? I
2: feel like I do all this work with like relationships and communication and love. And I just feel like in myself, I don't have a handle on like what love is or what love means or like this act of like love and loving. And especially like as a tantrika, so much of my like tantrika training is on like tantrikas are the embodiment of love. And I'm like, I does not compute. So, you yeah, know, I find myself like reading more and trying to understand more and especially like as I work with with couples who are coming in and they're like, Well, we love each other. And it's like, but y'all don't get along. <laughs> like, especially like being like a child of divorce, just like seeing like my parents, I'm like, Y'all don't like each other. Like I don't know why y'all are like why love is this thing that feels enough to over encompass the very real things that are in the room right now, and that like y'all don't like each mm-hmm. other, y'all don't get along, y'all don't vibe. Like, what is this love thing? If it, if it feels enough for some people to, to overcome very obvious, at least to, from where I sit, and even from where some people sit, very obvious disconnection. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's very interesting because I, I have had so many partners who, who love me and who have these like experiences of love. And I'm just like, I feel like everybody else got the answers to the test and I didn't even know we were being tested. Mm-hmm. So I just am trying to like explore that and, and have an understanding of that more. Cause it does not compute.
0: <laughs> Sounds like a worthy endeavor. Oh. Yeah. yeah, Understanding love. Mm. Come on. That's like, that's good work. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's like no work. Um, oh my gosh.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, if you'd like to become a communication ninja and work on mastering some of the most important dialogues that you will have in your relationships, then join us on Wednesday, September sixteenth at eight p.m. Eastern, as Shanae will guide us through the vet check split, the conversations of non-monogamy. As we've shared in ethical non-monogamy and polyamorous relationships, there are three conversations we to be had repeatedly: the vet conversations before you engage in any new situation. The check-in conversation that you have to have continuously in your relationship. And finally, the split conversation. The conversation had if the relationship comes to a close. On September 16th, Shanae will break down the three conversations, provide scripts and skills to engage in them, and enlighten participants on how to have better communication with your partner or partners. This workshop will also explore miscommunications and microaggressions that may arise in navigating non-monogamy. Tickets are available on our Facebook page in our Instagram bio, on our website by searching We Are Curious Foxes wherever you are. So, if you're not able to
1: join the workshop or if you are listening in from the future, not to worry. You can watch a recording of the workshop on our Patreon. And as you may know, as a Patreon member, you'll get access to all the video recordings from our in person and our virtual conferences and events, as well as free tickets, discounted tickets, exclusive events, and more. So, you can find out more about that by following us at We Are Curious Foxes on Patreon, on Facebook, on Instagram. If you want to follow Shanae or learn more about her work, then you can go to her website at HonestlyNay.com. That's H-O-N-E-S-T-L-Y-N-A-E.com or on Instagram at HonestlyNay or on YouTube, you can follow Honest Sex with Honest Lene. And if you were interested in this conversation, then you should share it with other people. You should like it. You should share it. You should comment on it. Our goal here at Curious Fox is to change the noise. And so you can help us in that endeavor. You can help us change all of the prescription and the dogma that we hear by continuing to share out these kinds of conversations. And so please share this out with friends. You can let us know if you have a topic that you'd be interested in us exploring, or if you have a question, you can email us at listening at we are Curious foxes, or you can do the cool things all the cool kids are doing it nowadays. And you can call us. You can use the phone, not just for Instagram, but for actually calling people. And you can do that, and you can leave a question, you can leave a comment, and we'll play it on the podcast, and we'll share our answer to your very specific question. You can give us a call at 201 870
0: 6 3. Yay. Thank you, Shanae, for joining us. This has been a really insightful, and we're really excited to take a deep dive into the workshop on uh, September 16th. And thank you, Foxes, for listening. And of course, as always, stay curious, friends. Stay curious. Curious Fox podcast is not and will never be the final word on any topic. We solely aim to encourage curiosity and provide a space for exploration through connection and story. We encourage you to listen with an open and curious mind, and we'll look forward to your feedback. Stay curious, friends. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious.